Welcome to the River Downstream, our podcast. Here are a couple announcements about what is happening with us this week at the river. Leading up to our all-church meeting this coming Sunday, we will be sharing some ministry updates with you. That meeting will encompass all the things we've done this past year and the budget for next year. An agenda and proposed budget for the upcoming year has been coming out in currents for the last few weeks. If you would like a copy and have not yet found a link anywhere, send an email to admin at rivercommunity.ca and we'll make sure that you get a copy of those in advance of the meeting on Sunday, September 24th. We'll be starting with our children's ministry and worship ministry updates from last week, September 10th. As we enter into the year ahead, it is my pleasure to come and chat with you a little bit about our children's ministry here at the river and how children's ministry ties into those three key areas of the river, loving people, igniting faith, and transforming lives. So starting next week is probably the biggest portion of our children's ministry is the return to Mess Hall for this year. And Mess Hall is where all of our kids, preschool through grade six, come and explore their faith together with their friends, building relationship with their leaders, and learning in God's word uh, in creative ways that are designed just for their age group. This year we are entering into the story of Moses. And if any of you are familiar with the story of Moses, it spreads a lot of years. So we're going to actually be journeying through the story of Moses all the way to Christmas, and then even after Christmas, we're going to be looking at some of those key experiences of Moses and his life. They are some of my favorite stories in the Bible because I love the constant presence and faithfulness of God, and his presence and faithfulness is demonstrated in some pretty awesome, miraculous ways. So it pairs for really creative, exciting learning for kids, and I'm excited for that. Um, Another part of our kids ministry, which maybe this age group doesn't like to be lumped in with kids, is our youth. And we have a small group of youth here at the church, but I'm excited this year to really, as a whole church community, be paying attention to how the teens fit into our community. And so this is actually sort of twofold. One, I'm looking forward to the teens finding ways to participate. So we have a lot of teens who come and volunteer at the mess hall, and we're looking forward to making that a better experience this year and really being intentional to what that looks like. But we're also looking for ways to include our teens in all areas of ministry. So if you are grade seven and above and you're here, we have some new pamphlets at the back sign-in cart and I would encourage you to get them and as an extra little encouragement to do so, there is a card where you can make a selection for your favorite beverage to be stocked in the youth cooler that will be arriving this month. Um, So there is some fun things to look forward to. And adults, I would like to give you the challenge this year to really pay attention to who the teenagers are in our circle and make an effort to get to know them. So if you don't know their names, that's a really good place to start. Introduce yourself, find out each other's names, and then over the course of this year, I would encourage you to be thinking about what are the teens into? What are they interested? What interested in? What did their week look like? And be wondering, how are you building relationships with that grade 7 to 12 age group here in our church? 
The third piece that I'm really excited about is our interactive, interactive services that are happening today and that Dale already talked about. Um, and one of the key goals of our interactive services, I think really fits into the transforming lives part. Our interactive services are designed so that all ages of church participate together and choose how you want to journey in your faith learning on that Sunday. So this week we have three activities, and all of our activities are designed with different personalities in mind, different learning styles in mind, and even just different information or things that you might learn. So you get to choose all ages together which one kind of draws your attention on that Sunday, but then we get to do that activity with one another. And so instead of just sitting and listening, we're going to really be interacting with our faith together. And amongst all of the ages, when we rub up against each other and we ask questions and we explore and we share our ideas, I think that's where this transforming piece can really happen because we really get to learn from one another and journey together and take ownership of our faith journey in a unique way. And I'm really looking forward to, to that. So those are three of our highlights for our children's ministry this year. So I, I, get, to, I get to share a little bit about uh, worship at, at the river. And I wanted to, to begin like this, uh, by asking you, fine, fine folks, why, why is it that you think that we gather together for times like this? What are we, what are we doing in these moments? Does anyone have any thoughts on what it is that we are doing in these, these, these hours that we get together uh, every, every week? What's the purpose of our, of our getting together? Does anyone have any thoughts on, on that? To worship? Okay, excellent. So why, and why, why do we worship? Why do we, why do we come together to worship? What's the, what's the purpose? No wrong answers. I'm just curious. Yeah. So, so communing with God and a reset and a refresh. That's a good thing, Gloria. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, you betcha. That's great. Excellent. Yeah. So, so the the gathering of of corporate worship is. Is an, is an ancient thing. It's an ancient practice, and it's something that, uh, that God actually designed. God is the one who, uh, who told us, who, who told uh, the nation of Israel how to, how to gather, when to gather, and why to gather. And when we gather for a time of worship, that time is actually reflective of our relationship with God. The, the coming together in relationship is really about God initiating a conversation with us, God welcoming us in, and then us communing with God and, like Jonathan said, with each other. So when we come together for, for these moments, what we're doing really, if you think about, uh, has anyone ever made a, a diorama before? Has that, has that ever happened? Do you, know, do you know what that is? A little shoebox that's got a little world inside it. Our, our, our Sunday morning times of worship are like a little diorama, and they pack the world of our relationship with God and how God relates to us into this one hour or so box where we can see the whole story. We engage with the whole story, and we see it all at one time. 
it's an opportunity for us to be able to acknowledge God as sovereign. It's an opportunity for us to be welcomed into this place and to celebrate all that God has done and all that God is doing. And what we accomplish when we, when we do that is we, we get closer as a community, certainly. Uh, we get closer with God, absolutely. But the real, uh, the real goal for us, it's actually one of our, one of our three statements of identity. What, what was the last one in the video? Does anyone remember what, what the last one was? So loving people, igniting faith, and transforming lives. That's right. And our, our, our prayer in earnest really is every week when we come together that we want to leave different than we came. We want God to, to continue or to begin a work in us that shapes us more into the likeness of, of Christ. And the reason is because God is not calling. This is not the calling, right? The calling is not to come here every Sunday. This is not living the Christian life. This is equipping us to live the Christian life outside of these walls. So this is our, this is our kind of transfer station. We come here every week and we... We tell God how we feel, and we learn from God as well. But the whole point is that we leave better equipped to do God's work in the world that God loves. And so that really is our hope. So when you think about the way that we've fashioned our times of worship, the tables that you're sitting around, for example, that loving people, that idea of connecting with community, the igniting faith, the way that we do things like we're doing today. We're, we're engaging with our faith in unique and interesting ways. We uh, intentionally develop teaching series. Dale, Dale has uh, excellent teaching series that we, uh, we engage with, even on our, our sort of special Sundays, Thanksgiving, Easter, and Christmas, and those kinds of things. There's real intention in how we how we use those moments of engagement to spark joy and to spark an engagement or a desire to go deeper with God. But really, at the end of the day, the hope is and the, the, the goal is that our lives are shaped different to, to, be, to be different and to be closer to that image of, of God in Christ when we leave this place because we want to be God's hands and feet. We want to be kingdom bringers. And that's why we gather for worship is to be transformed. It's no small feat, but it's not work that we do. It's God's spirit that works in and through us. And so my hope is that uh, hearing, hearing that and engaging in this conversation helps to frame, frame our uh, understanding of and, and also just our motivation for uh, coming through these doors every, every Sunday. Certainly to gather together with people that we love and certainly uh, to, to worship God and to tell God how much we love him. But we, our, our real strong desire is that by listening and engaging with what God has prepared for us, we leave differently than we came in. Next, our pastoral care elders are renewing our community prayer efforts. There will now be a team of two people that are able to pray alongside you if you have any prayer requests after the services from now into the foreseeable future. They will be wearing black lanyards so you know who they are each week, and we hope that this can be a way we bring the body of Christ closer together. And our final ministry updates will be from hospitality and social justice. After Karen and Melissa have shared with you, Paul will be back to lead us into this week's message. So a couple weeks ago, about the end of August, we did a Youth Rise um, barbecue, a community barbecue, and that went really well. We had lots of volunteers out, lots of people came. We served, oh, I don't know, probably 100 hamburgers and 100 hot dogs, but it was good. So thanks all for coming out to volunteer for that. Um, on Tuesdays, on the Youth Rise uh, subject, there's going to be parent night uh, here 
at the church. So um, we will be serving some desserts for the parents, and we'll, uh, the Reeds have offered uh, babysitting service. And going forward, is so we'll be holding a parents' night here on Tuesday. Uh, we haven't been called to do any um, uh, dinners yet for them, so we're waiting to hear that. They're kind of regrouping what they're doing, so we'll wait to hear. Maybe we'll start doing that in October. Our first Sunday fellowship is uh, our integrated service on the first Sunday of every month. So the next one will be in October 1st. A potluck will be, um, we'll, we'll focus on Thanksgiving. And then focusing on the Daniel diet in November. So, and then December will be Christmas. So focusing on Christmas activities for that. So if anybody has any ideas for uh, potlucks or any suggestions for the cafe, you know, please reach out to me. And if you're interested in helping out, you know, we will always welcome your help. We, we always need help um, at the church. So, you know, thank you. Morning. Morning. Thank you. I had more time to prepare, but I'm sure Karen did a better job than I'm going to. <laughs> um, so I'm here to talk about social justice and why we do social justice at the river and what some of our plans for the next year. So the verses that I tend to focus on with social justice, uh, why we do what we do, are Micah 6.8, which I'm sure most people are familiar with, but it's um, that the Lord requires us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And then the other verse that I focus on, which is in my signature line, if I've ever emailed any of you, is Hebrews 10.24. And I prefer the NLT version, which says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good work. So that's what I see as the mandate of social justice in the church. Um, typically, we're more outward focused, not necessarily focused on what goes on inside the doors of the church. But if there are areas inside our church that you feel are unjust, I would love if you came and talked to me about it. You know, fair trade coffee or making sure we're not using styrofoam or, or whatever it is. Our entire church focus should be on justice, not just outside our doors. So I'm always willing to have a conversation or to be contacted for any of that um, feedback that you might have. As far as focusing outward goes for the next year, um, we are working on another refugee sponsorship, actually two of them because we're partnered with the Bonnie Dune group that we're helping to support as well. So there's lots of opportunities coming up for fundraising or information gathering for, uh, we need quite a bit of money for the sponsorship, which you will find out about next week when we talk about budgets. <laughs> but if they get uh, permission to travel, we need to have all of the money in the bank to prove that we can support them. So if you can keep that on your radar for the next year. Uh, and also the Zambia partnership. Anybody want to go to Zambia? So far I'm going alone in January. I mean, I'm, I'm looking for... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Right on. Uh, I'm trying to plan another trip for January. Um, shorter than last time, probably seven to ten days. But if you're interested, I would really like to talk to you. I'd like to have you come along. There's also a chance we're going to get to visit with the Noppers, who will be in Malawi again at that point in time. So we can hang out and see what they've been doing in person while we're there. And the last uh, area I just wanted to focus on this morning, which is not solidified yet, but it is how we are morphing our Christmas with style program we use going forward into some sort of other partnership, community assistance fund thing, the Bissell, I have got no definition of this yet. Um, and we are currently working with in any of that, you're trying to figure out how we can do more with them going forward. 
So if you're interested in um, currents with any questions, you can come talk to me. There are other things we're doing too that we spam you on um, currents with, so you can find out there what we're doing. And we would love for you to come along on the journey. Well, thanks, uh, Melissa and Karen, for sharing. Uh, as we enter into worship this morning, uh, friends, I wanted to read this, I think, fairly familiar passage. Uh, and uh, it's just been on my, on my heart a little bit this week, coming into uh, our time of worship this morning specifically. But it's um, where Jesus, is, Jesus is, is traveling around. He's just sent out the 12, his 12 disciples to, to do ministry. And he's now, uh, he's now going and doing some, some teaching. And uh, he's just finished a, a bit of a... Uh, monologue, I guess. And, and this is tucked in right after that, where and I'll, uh, Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, for you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Yoke is easy, gentle, and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke, talking about discipleship, and my burden is light. And this is a, this is a Jesus is what that looks like. He's talking about coming in and being a follower and, and what that looks like. And what I wanted to just highlight uh, this morning is that discipleship is, is not only about learning from the rabbi that we follow, not only about learning what our rabbi knows, but it's also about doing what our rabbi does. And some, some time ago, I, uh, I ordered a, a bracelet um, which uh, uh, I'm not wearing it. UJD. What does that stand for, everyone? What would Jesus do? Exactly. And it was it was in a moment uh, specifically where I was I was getting into some uh, you know script or just witnessing a lot of folks. Um, I think this and I think that about this and that and the other thing when it comes to conversation. And it just occurred to me why why are we having this conversation? Why aren't we having the conversation and learning what Jesus would do? If we just learn from following this rabbi in pretty good shape from Jesus and doing, just modeling our lives after the life of Jesus. I think we'd be knowledge. It's not only, and so that's what worship is about actually for us. When we gather together, it's not just head knowledge. It's not only coming together as a community, but it's, it's about having our hearts transformed and shaped so that we emulate and become more like Jesus in the world around us. That's what we're doing here, friends. So I want to invite you to stand if you're able, and we're going to turn our hearts into this frequency that's uh, in this room right now by God's Spirit. We're going to hope that we learn a little bit more about doing what Jesus does. I have been eager and nervous uh, to talk to you today. Uh, I think the... uh, you know, the whole thought is, uh, I think they're the same endorphins, you know, the eagerness and the nervousness, the excited nervous. I think they're the same, we're all flowing through me. And so, um, but here we are today to talk about unity and diversity. And uh, I'd like to first just point out, um, if the first slide comes up, it'll just talk, yeah, unity and diversity. Um, I just want to start by saying this uh, before we pray. Diversity need not mean division. And unity need not mean uniformity. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, you who have called us to be one, 
Lord, we are here today to, to learn a little bit more about you and perhaps a little bit more about ourselves in the midst of it all. So, Lord, we pray that your spirit would be with us and guiding us and directing us and engaging us, um, encouraging us how you would have us be the body of Christ here today that we call the river. This is our prayer as we prayed in earnest. Amen. All right, how many of you have ever assembled a product from Ikea? You gone to Ikea, put your hands up. Yeah, you bought, well, how about a barbecue? Any of you assembled a barbecue? A couple of you as well. Any other items that you have to look at in a manual instructions for? Any, any? Uh, crib, crib, yeah. All right, so my question to you all then is this. Do you read the instructions first from cover to cover? How many of you do? Put your hands up, please. There's not too very many of you. You're, I'm, I'm going to encourage you all to look around so that you can see who's here. So hold your hands up. Come on. Don't be shy. All right. How many of you just tackle it? You just say, I know how to do this. I'm just going to do it. You pull out the tools and you start building. Have hands up if you just tackle it. All right. Have a look around. All right. A few more people that are a little bolder that way. All right. For the rest of the people, perhaps you just refuse to buy a product that requires assembly. Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for engaging in this simple exercise. It's simply designed to illustrate that there are differences among us as to how we approach things, how we look at things, how we engage with things. And so what I'd like to do is to expand on the diversity that we see among us, and the topic or question that we will ask ourselves is, how do we do church? So just bearing it right down to how do we do church? And in order to answer that question, I'm going to borrow from a small document, a booklet from our denomination. It's called What It Means to Be Reformed. It talks about three accents that exist in the CRC heritage, Christian Reformed Church heritage. It describes three approaches to being reformed. But I'd like to boil it down to three ways to be church. Because I believe that all three are playing out here in our church family. And allow me, if you will, to explain these three approaches to being reformed, but I'm confident that you will see that these three approaches actually cross denominational lines. And so if you come from a Baptist tradition or a Pentecostal experience or an E-free belief system or a Catholic or Anglican ritual system, I am confident that these three approaches to being a Christ follower will resonate with you. And then we will see how it plays out in our church family, the river. So the first approach is what's called the doctrinalist view. I know, big word. But here to be reformed refers primarily to a strong adherence to certain Christian doctrines as taught in the Scriptures and reflected in the confessions of the church. The key question for doctrinalists is this. What do we believe? If we were to look at our creeds and confessions, especially the Heidelberg Catechism, one might say that a doctrinalist holds fast to the idea that we are all sinners in need of sound doctrine to help us get through life. When a doctrinalist comes to church, what they are looking for is to hear the Word of God. 
worship order is probably key for a doctrinalist. How a worship service is conducted is paramount to showing deep respect for the Word of God and for our creeds and confessions. That's the doctrinalist view. And using the same formula, let's look at the second approach, which is the pietist approach. Here to be reformed means, uh, refers to the Christian life and to one's personal relationship with God. The key question for pietists is this. How do we, how do I experience God in my daily walk of life? If we were to look at the Heidelberg Catechism, one might say that the pietist focuses on the aspect of salvation. That we are saved and we can enjoy God now, here and now. When a pietist comes to church, what they are looking for is to experience the work of Christ in their hearts. Fellowship is probably the key word for a pietist. How they fellowship with God alongside of fellow believers is paramount to the church experience. The third approach is the transformationalist activity. Here to be reformed refers to the relationship of Christianity to culture, to a world and life view, and to the spirit transforming culture. The key question for transformationalists is this. How do we relate the gospel to the world? And if we were to look at the Heidelberg Catechism, one might say that a transformationalist focuses on the aspect of service. That we are saved so that we can do the work of God here and now. When a transformationalist comes to church, what they are looking for is the Holy Spirit to convict them, to act. Stewardship and mission are key words for a transformationalist. How we use our resources and how we engage with others outside of the church is paramount to what a church is supposed to be. These are the three approaches to being reformed. And I suspect that you could see how these three approaches cross denominational lines. Do I see any nodding heads? Excellent. I suspect that you have already identified which one you relate to the best. But just to confirm which one you gravitate towards, let me ask you this. Which of the following three statements is truer for you? I'd like you to pick one. First, when I come to church, I want to hear the Word of God. I like doctrine, creeds, and confessions. I like order. That's one. Or, when I come to church, I want to experience Christ. I want to be reminded of His love for me. I like fellowship. And three, when I come to church, I want to be moved by the Holy Spirit. I want to be encouraged to act. I like mission and social justice. Now, I know some of you might say all three, or maybe just two. But obviously, these three approaches are overlapping. No hard and fast line can be drawn between them. But pick one. If your church didn't have that one thing, and it would upset you, what would it be? All right, do you have it settled in your mind? Do you know which one best suits you? 
All right, I'm going to ask you for a show of hands, and I'm going to ask you to be brave and just do that so we can look around and see truthfully. A doctrinalist, how many people would resonate with the doctrinalist view? All right, I see a few hands. All right. How about a pietist? How many identify with a pietist? All right. And then the transformationalist, how many identify with that? All right, so if you were looking around uh, instead of just looking at me, then you would have seen that there is this diversity uh, here among us as to how we approach being a Christ follower. Do you have any questions before I continue? Like, is there any point of clarification? Just want to ensure that there's some understanding here before I carry on. Any questions? Not that you have to. I just want to make sure we're good. All right. If I were to give each of these approaches a word picture, I would give the doctrinalist a picture of the head. I would give the pietist a picture of the heart. And I would give the transformationalist a picture of hands. Now, in so doing and giving each approach a word picture, I hope that it's readily obvious that they represent various parts of the body. And that in representing the various parts, they hopefully convey the whole body. All three of these parts of the body are needed in order for the body to function. All three approaches are needed for our church to function. All three approaches are needed for our church to function. In order for us to be the whole body, if all of the parts of the body were doctrinalists, where would the heart or hands be? If all parts of the body were pietists, where would the head or hands be? If all parts of the body were transformationalists, where would the heart or the head be? Here within the river, we need all three parts of the body. But I wonder if you would agree that rather than uniting us, these three approaches to being church could tend to divide us. We have looked at what it is that we want out of church, and if we don't get it, well, we want out. If we don't hear the Word of God the way that we want to hear the Word of God, well, it's time to leave. If we don't experience Christ here anymore because of our congregational humanity gets in the way, then it's time to seek Christ's divinity elsewhere. And if we are no longer inspired at church to live the way that we ought to, then we better seek guidance elsewhere. And the truth of it all is this, that that's exactly why we have so many church denominations today. The doctrinalists have become the re-reformed or the orthodox. The pietists have probably joined the alliance movement. The transformationalists have become social activists and maybe not going to church anymore. And so we face the question, what does it mean to be members of the river? Now, I feel like I need to pony up first of all. Allow me to explain who I am as just one pastor. I am aware that I appear to be a transformationalist with pietistic tendencies with good regard for doctrine. <laughs> I know, it sounds like I just chose all three. <laughs> Allow me to explain. What's true about that is that I focus a lot on the way that we should live. The other six days 
and guided by the Spirit. That is my focus. That is my passion. Community is probably the key word. And harmony is the underlying word, that theme in my life, how I do that. But I do base that on my experience with Christ, i.e. grace and gratitude. And I hope that all of that is grounded in what we believe about God and how we are to respond. So I'm not sure if you think that's good or bad, right or wrong, but there it is. That's me. I'm a transformationalist at heart, and that's what motivates me. Now, I've watched the river from afar, you might say, and and this much I have noticed. Our three values tie nicely into these three approaches. Loving people is our desire to accept people for who they are. We accept each other's gifts and talents. You accept everyone for who they are. Come as you are, you say. No judgment. Igniting faith is our focus on the Word of God and how it spurs on our faith. And you, the leadership specifically, but you have asked me to ensure that each encounter, each gathering that we have with God is one that equips us to live out our relationship with Him. And Transforming lives as a value is self-evident, I think, on how we desire to see lives changed by the Holy Spirit. We seek out the marginalized and walk with them that they too may have life. Life to the full. That's what our social justice network is all about. Even our worship is intended to spur on transformation. Yes, there is much passion here at the river. Passion being expressed for a variety of reasons. Passion for people and our help for them. Passion for word and worship, should it ever change. A desire for practical measures on how to do life. All three aspects, people, worship, practicality, all three bring out the passions in different people. And as we watch these three aspects unfold, we cannot help but admire the passion with which each one is being pursued. If you walk or look around and you watch people here at the river engage, you just you can't help but admire the passion with which they do that. But it is possible that passion is overcome with pride. And pride gets in the way of hearing each other well. It doesn't matter which aspect one might hold dear. If pride is present in passion, then roadblocks for unity are set up. It seems that disunity can occur in the smallest of events. It seems that just as we are to set out to promote unity, that we are attacked. It is as if the devil is saying, let's stir up some pride, and that way the kingdom of God will not prevail. Disunity is the work of the devil, and we need to counteract that. And whenever we encounter the darkness please know that our call is to focus on the light. For that light is what dispels darkness. So what concerns us is this. How do we become the body of Christ? Jesus himself prayed that the church would be one, John 17. Paul makes a great deal of the fact that the body of Christ is one, 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4. And to focus on what we have in common with one another is one approach to this oneness, to focus on what we have in common. 
But the church of our past has spent much time and energy on matters that divide us instead of what unites us. So I am compelled to tell you this. That which divides us need not separate us. In fact, that which would divide us is exactly what we need from each other. Our unity is found in diversity. We need the head, the heart, and the hands. We need all three. We need the triune God to mold us together. If God can be one, then we who are made in His image can be one. And in order to do so, we not only need each other, but we must love and respect each other, coming from a posture of humility. We need the doctrinalist to hold our feet to the flame, that is, the Word of God, eloquently expressed in our confessions. We also need doctrinalists to support the heart and the hands endeavor. We need pietists to remind us of the beauty of salvation. We need them to warm our hearts as all of our blood is either rushing to our heads or it's rushing out to our hands. But we also need the pietists to embrace what we believe and to embrace what we do in the name of the triune God. And we need the transformationalists to show us how to live outside of our heads and outside of our hearts. We need to be coaxed out from our concrete minds and off of our cozy couches. But we also need the transformationalists to sit with us, to be reminded from the Word of God what it is that refreshes our soul. We need each other. We need our diversity to be the body of Christ. We need our diversity in order to be one. So what more could our church want or need than Paul's great call? In Ephesians 4, verse 13. To come to the unity of faith. To come to the knowledge of the Son of God. To come to maturity. To attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, might I be so bold as to change one word in that last phrase? What more could our church want or need than Paul's great call to attain the whole measure of the oneness of Christ's body? And so I'd like to end with three questions. Three questions that would stir up in us how we move forward from here. The doctrinalist question is, what do we do with this knowledge? The pietist question is, how do we experience this actuality? And the transformationalist question is, how do we put this into action? Amen. Which brings us to our main topic. Well, this was the main topic, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, but there's a, a topic that's been... Uh, pressing upon us. Uh, it's been coming at us uh, from uh, uh, culture, it's been coming at us from our denomination, and it uh, all to, has to do with human sexuality. And so um, what we'd like to do here in the next 15 minutes or so is uh, to share with you history, history of the 
the river community church and um, who the river has been in the past as to how that might then perhaps tell us about our future. But then also, uh, so Gail, I'm going to ask Gail Monsman to come up and share that with us. And then I'm going to share with you the CRC history, um, our denomination's history on this whole topic of uh, human sexuality. And so um, without further ado, let's uh, invite Gail and then we'll move from there. Thanks, Dale. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'm one of the old-timers here, having been with the river right from its very inception. And um, this idea of unity and diversity has been a part of the river's culture since we began. When, if you were around in those early days, we had a phrase within our sort of purpose and value that was, it was called radical inclusivity. And that was part of the foundation of the river at the beginning. At that point, 20 years ago now, I think that when we heard that phrase, radical inclusivity, we mainly were thinking about things like race race and ethnicity, economic status, people on different places in their faith journey. And I think that that's what we were primarily sort of focusing on when we thought about radical inclusivity. And I say that was 20 years ago. And um, things have changed since then. Um, the world in which we live is continuing to change around us. And that then also includes the church. The church is part of the world in which we live. So um, that then has become also thinking about that change within the river. And... Um, Dale talked about the human sexuality, and I think particularly um, there's various aspects to that report that Dale will get into, but I think probably one of the ones that's most uh, sort of um, concerning to people or interesting to people is sexual orientation and gender identity. Sometimes you will hear the, the, the acronym SOGI, sexual orientation, gender identity. And in the, our world around us, but also within the church, I don't want to make it seem like the church is being driven by external cultural factors, because I think it's also within the, the church itself. There's been more of an openness to discuss re- topics related to sexual orientation and gender identity. There's been medical research that has been done in those last 20 years that has enlightened and made us think differently about some of those topics. And there's been more of a willingness, I think, within the church to study what the topic is and uh, just to dive a little bit more into that. So at the beginning of the river, as I said, we had this radical inclusivity was one of our phrases. In 2020, when our staff and executive met to sort of update our strategic plan going forward, We included a phrase that is a bit of a different than radical inclusivity, but instead it's now boundless inclusivity is the phrase that's now in our strategic plan. And sort of the description that goes with that, it says, we will go above and beyond to ensure that people are unfolded into the community of God's people. We will go above and beyond to ensure that people are unfolded into the community of God's people. So since the... Um, the, that strategic plan came into place. For instance, one of the things that we've done as a church is we set up our accessibility team. 
right? So they've been talking more about um, all sorts of accessibility issues within the church, whether that's physical accessibility or all the different things that they've been working with us on. We also created um, the All Are Welcome at the Table video that gets played on Communion Sundays. And now, also, this discussion on sexual orientation and gender identity is also part of what that boundless inclusivity is. And we think that now is the time for us to look more intentionally at that topic. The Christian Reformed Church, to which we belong, has made some decisions in the past um, year or year and a half that sort of seem to bump up a bit against that phrase of boundless inclusivity. And Dale will talk more about what that specifically means. We've had a shepherding team that has been doing some behind-the-scenes work in terms of planning and organizing. The staff and the executive have been talking about this and discussing this topic over the last while. Last year, the year before, we had a series of evening cafes where we invited people to come and to learn and discuss. But because of sort of where we are now in, in just our denomination, but also within our church's life, we think that now is the time to engage the church, the river, more widely and intentionally in, in some discussions. So I think there's going to be three things we're going to be doing. We're going to be learning, we're going to be discussing, and we're going to be wrestling. Right? Learning, discussing, and wrestling together around this important and challenging topic. So you're going to be asked at the end of the service about just what are some areas or aspects that you want to learn more about, that you want to talk with rivers, riverites about, and that you want to wrestle with together. So regardless of sort of where you are currently in your interest or understanding or learning, I think that we can all take some steps individually, but also communally, as we spend the next while engaging with this topic. And so we invite all of you also to come on that journey with us. A little bit of uh, our history here at the river, and um, I've been asked to give you the history uh, within our denomination. And um, I'll move back over here, I think it's... So... Um, the CRC position on homosexuality was first established in 1973, and it's summarized in two statements of pastoral advice, which you can find on the web. If you were to go to the crcna.org and you type in homosexuality, um, this position statement will come up. Uh, but before I read you the definitions, I'd like to give you a few definitions uh, just so you understand of what they're talking about. The first definition is the word synod. Not many people are aware of uh, the word synod, but the word synod is, refers to the annual binational gathering of elder, pastor, and deacon representatives from those two nations, um, Canada and the U.S., coming together and um, having, making decisions, if you will. They are a delegated body from the ground up that goes, and so they are the ones that kind of oversee our denomination. The word homosexuality refers to a condition of personal identity in which a person is sexually orientated towards persons of the same sex. And then homosexualism, explicit or overt homosexual practice. And then the last definition, homosexual, 
a person who has erotic attractions for members of the same sex and who may or may not actually engage in homosexualism, i.e. the practice. So the two statements that they put out pretty much since 1973 are these. Homosexuality is a condition in which a person is sexually orientated towards persons of the same sex, for which the person may bear only a minimal responsibility. Persons of same-sex attraction may not be denied community acceptance solely based because of their sexual orientation and should be wholeheartedly received by the church and given loving support and encouragement. Same-sex Christians, like all Christians, are called to discipleship, holy obedience, and the use of their gifts in the cause of the kingdom. Opportunities to serve within the offices and the life of the congregation should be afforded to same-sex orientated Christians as well as to heterosexual Christians. Homosexualism is the second statement, that is the explicit homosexual practice. This, however, is incompatible with obedience to the will of God as revealed in Scripture. The church affirms that it must exercise the same compassion for same-sex orientated persons in their sins as it exercises for all other sinners. The church should do everything in its power to help persons with same-sex orientation and give them support towards healing and wholeness. A synodical report titled, Pastoral Care for Homosexual Members is Available Online. This constitutes, these two statements constitute the position of the CRC on the issue. And I think you can hear within that, um, the first one talks about uh, loving the sinner, and the second one talks about hating the sin. And there's a big distinction right in those two phrases right there. Let me give you a little more. I'm going to, yes? These are the definitions that the CRC has applied to this uh, statement. In this report. So it's, it's their definition. I'm sure you would. Yeah. All right, so a little bit of the history of our denomination. In 1973, as I mentioned, Synod submitted its first report on homosexuality. And I think that's really out front. Um, I don't think uh, HIV and AIDS epidemic and all that came out until the 1980s and so on. So this was really early in that uh, the CRC was on, kind of on top of this subject matter, if you will. But the subject has come up repeatedly at synods throughout that time from 1973 until now. And just quickly, uh, Synod 1999 received a report. Uh, synod 2013 received two requests for guidance. Uh, Synod 2016 further decided to appoint a new study committee to articulate a foundation-laying biblical theology of human sexuality, which kind of brings us to what we're dealing with today. So Synod 2019 received an interim report, but the committee's final report was received by Synod 2022, so uh, not this past June, but the, fall, the June previous, and it was, this report was recommended to all the churches as providing a useful summary of biblical teaching regarding human sexuality. Among other actions in response to this report, Synod 2022 affirmed that unchastity 
in the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer number 108, encompasses adultery, premarital sex, extramarital sex, polyamory, pornography, and homosexual sex, all of which violate the seventh commandment and declared that this interpretation has confessional status. So you can see how this homosexual uh, human sexuality report was kind of an all-encompassing report. Um, And then it stated this, that it is now confessional. What does confessional status mean? A member in good standing in the CRC must adhere to this decision and the two position points of the denomination that I read earlier. This declaration of confessional status was subsequently challenged at the June 2023 Synod where many requests were made to allow same-sex marriages as an exemption from the definition of unchastity and thereby permit same-sex marriages within our church and among our members. Those requests were declined and denied. Which brings us to today. I think Gail has done an excellent job in giving us the history of how we have desired to be inclusive, radically, or boundlessly. And those recent decisions by synod placed restraints and constrictions upon us when it comes to interacting with people of LGBTQ nature. More specifically, those who are inclined to be in a same-sex monogamous marriage. It is apparent I think, that our denomination has been wrestling with this topic for a long time. Too long, you might say. And it would appear that there are at least two differing voices in the mix of these denominational decisions. One-third of the votes were against the decisions made at the synods, while two-thirds of the votes were for maintaining this denominational stance on homosexuality. So just as the denomination has been wrestling with this topic, so also you may have been wrestling. Some of you may have already decided one way or another. Some of you may be undecided, while others of you might prefer to not talk about this for one reason or another. But certainly, there is much to ponder How did the synods come to make their decision? What biblical interpretation was used? Were any personal testimonies shared to aid in the deliberations? Was there any scientific analysis presented to help in the deliberations? Did they consider the ramifications of this decision and how it might fracture the church? Lots of questions abound. The leadership here at the river would like to hear from you on how you react to this development. Gail is going to hand out some pieces of paper and some pens, and maybe somebody else can help her to spread this around. Hopefully we have enough uh, uh, pieces of paper to go around. I printed 50, but it looks like we're just a little over 50 here. So the question that we're asking you to address is, what aspects of these decisions strike you, concern you, worry you? That's a general question. But more so, we'd like to know from you what more information you want on this aspect or topic. A small committee of three has been set up to help guide our conversations in the coming years in this topic. They've prepared a short list of topics to discuss. You'll find it on the sheet. That list is, if it's available, 
It's a little hard to read, perhaps, but uh, there could be other questions. If you have a different question or something that topic that you want uh, to be talked about, let us know. But on the sheet, you're going to see choices. I'd like to understand more about the biblical interpretations used. I'd like to understand the biological makeup of the spectrum of gender. I'd like to hear about the ramifications of holding a different opinion from the denomination. I'd like to, the opportunity to sit with my fellow members at the river to discuss this. Those are the questions that we are asking you to help guide us in this conversation that we'd like to continue to have as we discern our way forward. The denomination has already stated that... Uh, they are asking a, per, for some enforcement. They are, have demanded that there be enforcement of their decisions upon every church in our denomination. And so they're asking sister churches to uh, confront other churches if they happen to go astray. And uh, so this is um, already happening. There are still some appeals that are happening within the denomination as to um, how can we... Uh, still maintain our unity even though there's diversity. So th those questions are being asked and will come out to the next synod. Um, but we'd like to engage in conversations about that ourselves. Uh, unity and diversity, how do we maintain being the body of Christ even around this topic? So as we move into the Q&A portion of this service, we open to the floor for members of the congregation to ask questions and offer comments on what they had heard during the presentation or experienced with the river over time. I will be reading a transcription of their questions and comments, and we hope this will help anyone who couldn't be there or who was there and wanted to listen again have an idea of what was said. So first question, is there supposed to be something at the next synod as well? The next in it is uh, June 2024, and um, there is a, I think what's on the table yet is how can people object and yet stay within the denomination? I think that's the only thing left on the table. Can people object and still stay in the denomination? The, the current stance is no, but um, that has yet to be finalized next year. You said this discussion could happen over years. How long do we have to kind of make these decisions? Well, it's, it would appear that within the next year, we probably need to have our know how, how we want to stand, if you will, what our posture is going to be, um, so that we can then, whatever happens, we're ready, I suppose. So I think... We probably have a year if you were to look at external pressures. I mean, if it happens sooner, great. If it, if it happens a little longer, well, okay. But you're right. You know, I, I thought somebody was going to pick up on the fact that I said years. Do we know if there have been congregations that have left the denomination up to this point because of this decision? I'm not aware of any church that has actually left the denomination at this point but I am aware that there are churches that have stated that they are affirming churches um, and they're being scrutinized as it is now by that enforcement that they're asking sister churches to confront sister churches. Could you define the term affirming? Because the CRC Senate also uses that term in a different way. All right, so uh, affirming um, in my language would be ac accepting um, people of LGBTQ as 
uh, full-fledged human beings that are deserving of love with each other, deserving of uh, God's love, uh, and all that. So that would be affirming in my definition. Let's say they are under speculation. What does it mean that they're being scrutinized? Well, basically, the, the, I don't have the exact terminology in front of me, but so there's the synod, which is the international binational body, and then there's classes, which are the regional bodies. So the regional bodies have been charged with, if you have a church within your midst in a smaller body, you are to confront them if they are um, having anybody uh, with uh, same-sex orientation in um, office. So as an elder or a deacon, uh, that kind of a thing. Because LGBTQ people are more than welcome, as you can hear from their language, into the church and should deserve all things, but I think they're demanding that they be celibate. And so therefore, uh, if you're in a same-sex marriage, then you're not celibate, and therefore that would be contravening what our denomination is asked. So... Have we had discussion with our sister churches like Mosaic House about their position? I've been, we've been working with West End Christian Reformed Church who has decided to take two years to talk through this in a very systematic way. Uh, we've kind of adopted some of their ideas and, and processes uh, here for this committee. Um, everyone else seems to be, well, Fellowship uh, Church in the Northeast, they, uh, I can't say this for sure, so, but um, they haven't made a statement, but they're certainly leaning in one direction. Everyone else is holding their cards close to their chest. Um, every church seems to be just kind of trying to be guarded about it. So this is going public. Uh, this is on our podcast and our live stream and whatever. So we're, we're trying to ensure that all of our peoples, where near and far, are in this conversation so that uh, uh, we have everybody, you know, we want to be transparent. If there are people listening who want to share their thoughts, how should they go about doing that? Okay, so um, if you are watching um, live stream or if you are listening in on the podcast, then uh, we invite you to uh, contact Gail or myself. Uh, Dale at the river, Dale at rivercommunity.ca would be a good email. And I don't know if we have chair. I think it's chair at rivercommunity.ca. Send it to both. That way Gail and I will both get it. Gail being the chairperson of our executive, so chair at River Community. Yes, Bill. This is commentary from Bill. Just remember, I think it's convenient to be doctrineless when you want to talk about doctrine positions. So those three positions that we've talked about are very helpful to understand the larger perspective. One of the rules that the CRC already has is that no one church can lord over another. So in this particular case... If a church was to express outrage at another CRC church that it doesn't believe is conforming, it doesn't get to decide anything on its own. It has to bring it to classes, the district body, and then up to synod. And I think it's very important to know that no one church gets to bring the hammer down, so to speak, on another church. And that's part of our unity in the larger space. And I think we're seeing a bit of this across the denomination, that one church is trying to be the purest at an acting the doctrine, and other churches that are affirming are trying to take up issue with them. But the reality is that we have a very wise structure for dealing with these processes, so we have to remember that it isn't that one church doesn't like what we're doing, or we don't like what another church is doing within our denomination. No one church gets to be judge, 
juror and executioner for another church. We have a process built within that has to be followed that goes through classes and then goes up to synod. So if there's one thing I want people to be clear on, it's that this is not the wild, wild west in terms of one church is set against another. Good point. So uh, no one church can lord it over another, to use your phrase. No one church can carry a big stick and, and attack another church. Uh, I would, maybe you would agree, but I think the Matthew 18 principle applies here. If you have a concern with another church, that church should approach them first, and if there's still a uh, concern there, then to bring it to the larger body, which is the classes, the regional body, to then deal with it as a family of churches. Yes, Eric. In terms of this two-thirds of this one-third idea with the voting and everything, this is about us wrestling as a church. This isn't about them drawing a line in the sand and we've all got to run with it. It's about wrestling and working through it. And even at the last synod, they had stuff they had to work through. There were lots of objections and they ran out of time. This is an ongoing discussion within the denomination, within the river, within your own hearts. It's tricky for synod who put a line in the sand and then we all get to wrestle with that line. And it's just a part of the process that we're meant to go through. Right. So they have come to a definitive statement, draw a line in the sand if you want to use that phrase. And so that's why we're dealing, and we need to wrestle. Gail said it at the beginning. We, this is learn, educate, wrestle. Learn discuss. learn, discuss, and wrestle. So wrestling is what we hope to do in the next year. Henry. Is it fair to say, though, that the denomination's position has pretty much been confirmed. I know that there's been a lot of overtures from various churches under the church organization, challenging the position, asking Synod to reconsider or to not implement some of the, the finer points. But it seems like they've been pretty definitive when they say, no, this is our position. Is it fair to say that the denomination's position appears to be fairly rigid at this point, and we don't expect, even through additional discussion, that at the denomination level, that will change? Well, I would agree that, um, yes, it's a very definitive position that they have stated. Um, I'm a bit of an optimist, so I'd say there's always hope for unity still <laughs> amongst our diversity. But um, yeah, it, it does appear. Somebody said to me, it looks like we're gone backwards um, in time. And I said, my response was, no, I think they just drew the line in the sand a little bit deeper, a little more firmer. So yes, I definitely agree that they've made a firm statement on this topic. And um, that's why we need to wrestle. Throughout this entire conversation, the church has decided that we are open to all orientations, LGBTQ, but they cannot be on the leadership. So if the church has made this decision and they are not expected to move on that stance, then, you know, taking one year or a couple more years, what more is there to discuss? Well, I guess one of the questions uh, you've been asked is, do you want to talk about the ramifications of this decision on staying with the denomination or not staying with the denomination? How do we understand that? Um, is that something we, that we want to separate from the denomination or we want to stay? Depending on, on what the overall consensus is amongst us. Uh, you know, the leadership is bringing this to everybody because we want you in on the conversation. We want you to also wrestle with this and not just, uh, you know, slam dunk decision by one person. And here Gail responds, I think one of the things that's different about what Synod just did is that they declared the confessional status of this position. So in previous times, 
we could not have LGBTQ in a practicing relationship serve as an elder to the church. Whereas now, with the confessional status, anybody that is serving in a position as an executive member needs to agree with the position of synod. So for instance, so say if I did not agree with the position of synod, I could no longer serve as an elder for the church. It's not about my own personal orientation, but I need to agree. And that's the change that was made in the last synod by making it confessional status. And not just to agree, but to uphold synod's position as well. I had another hand in the back, I think, Gloria. Just in regards to the river's history, I just remember when Bruce's sister was going around and doing a presentation about safe spaces, and she was already promoting she was already promoting safe spaces at that point in time. But I wonder if had she not done that at the river, if that contributed to the conversation and starting to wrestle in that regard, and if there was a decision that the river had come to surrounding that inclusivity piece. Gail responds, That was certainly one of the events that's happened in the past of the river. We had her come in and we've had other events and evenings and learning education. So we've always kind of been wrestling with it in different capacities and figuring out how do we walk this journey together, recognizing that our congregation is full of different perspectives and asking how do we do this and do this well within our congregation. I guess our decision was radical and boundless inclusivity. And then now we're trying to figure out what that really means. Just to follow up on that, I think many of us are members of this church, meaning that we went through the membership classes and we signed the membership agreement. And within that membership agreement, the CRC agreement, is the statement that describes homosexual relationships as sin. I signed a document with that line to my shame, and we wrestled with it at that time, and we were told at that time, this is not what the river was about, this is just the CRC, it's not what the river's about. And the river membership agreement has since been revised and doesn't include that statement. But we all should have been wiser and more discerning, and I, I think I might have crossed it out or written something in the margin, it's not good enough. And so to speak to that, as a local church, we have lived our lives without that statement, but we always have that denomination ruling above, that many of us tried to pretend wasn't there, and that time is done. At this point, Gail mentions that this is exactly the kind of conversations we want to be having with Riverites, to delve into the thoughts and feelings behind each of the people that make up the river, but that we're also going to redirect focus at this point in the discussion to more procedural questions that haven't been asked, because we knew this wasn't going to be decided in one day. It's just an observation. Within the CRC, there's a very hopeful group that has taken this position that the CRC has made the decision, and now we must agree to the decision, or we're a portion of it. But we get that that group may be very successful in 2024, and I think ultimately at some point the decision will change the way we do things or move. Right. So I guess we hold with bated breath until next year to see what they say, but in the meantime we have to make up our own minds. All right, um, can I uh, close with a word of prayer? Oh, yeah, let's, let's do that. Okay. Yep, yeah, close with a word of prayer? Yeah. <laughs> Heavenly Father and gracious Lord, we, uh, uh, we are wrestling. We are wrestling with uh, uh, 
how we are to uh, be this body, how we are to be this uh, uh, response to you and to the world, what it is you've asked us to do and to be. And so, Lord, as we continue to take steps forward, and maybe sideways or whatever, Lord, as we continue to move, as we continue to uh, wrestle with this, I pray that we would indeed learn through our discussions with each other, through our discussions with you, uh, through our discussions with others outside of this church, Lord, would you bless all of us uh, in all of this wrestling that we have to do? Would you keep us safe? And uh, remind us constantly that you are Lord of all, and in you is where we find our oneness. To you belongs all honor, power, and praise. In your name we pray. Through the help of the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this recording. Just a reminder that you can find our website at rivercommunity.ca. There you can find our events calendar with information about upcoming messages and gatherings, or sign up for currents. Feel free to send us a message on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Our services start 10 o'clock Sunday mornings, and you are welcome to come early for coffee, tea, and bagels. Have a great week. Bye-bye.